Chapter 1. For Singles Only. Yes, married guys, you can skip this. What's wrong with you? The Christian subculture has done an impressive job of glorifying marriage and stigmatizing singleness. Books and youth group sermons are regularly directed at Christian teens to warn them against the perils of premarital sex and to guide them toward marriage. When dating, teens are taught to consider whether their 15-year-old girlfriend is someone they would consider marrying. As teens' sexual urges rise and develop, they are taught to direct them toward marriage. Marriage is the reward for a Christian teen's disciplined pursuit of sexual purity. This all sounds good on the surface, right? Since Christian singles are to wait until marriage to have sex, we frequently find them getting married at the young ages of 20, 21, and 22. Jokes are told about Christian women going to Christian colleges to get their, quote, MRS degrees. Wedding ceremonies cost tens of thousands of dollars, sparing no expense for the bride's special day as a princess and the groom's long-awaited prize of sex. Christian singles are disciplined to dream of idealized romance, utopian sex, and a, quote, happily ever after life, if you do it God's way. As the church teaches these promises about marriage, it churns out a plethora of programs for married couples, families, and children. Many consultants who teach pastors how to grow their churches argue that attracting stable families through these programs is the key to leading a sustainable, growing church, and pragmatically, they are often right. It is expected in the church that youth should prepare for marriage, eventually marry, have children, enjoy it all, and count on the local church to be there for them along the way by providing continuing programs to encourage and strengthen their married lives. But what are the implications of hyping marriage to 15-year-olds, or of so closely correlating dating with marriage and sex, or of treating wedding ceremonies like Ken and Barbie spectaculars? Couples are spending $30,000 on average for their weddings, and research shows that the more spent on a wedding, the shorter the marriage often lasts. Doesn't it feel like marriage has become one of the Christian rites of passage? You learn to read your Bible, you learn to pray, you get baptized, you go to church, and you get married. And then have kids, of course. Footnote. Yes, God commands Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply. Genesis 1.28 With a global population of over 7 billion, I think we've done a pretty good job of obeying this one. We need to stop teaching this as a mandate for individual Christians, especially since the Bible does not contain an individual command to have children. In fact, we see numerous examples of childless Christians, including Jesus and Paul. If bearing children were a command to every individual, Jesus would be in sin. End of footnote. The truth is, the Bible doesn't mandate or focus on marriage and family the way the church does. Footnote. I recently attended a wedding in which the pastor used Ecclesiastes 4, 9-12 as his text to describe marriage. Quote, Two are better than one. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Unquote. This text is not about marriage. 
The laying down together is not sexual. It was practical in an era where there was no indoor heating. And the, quote, third strand of the cord is not referring to God. It's referring to a third human. The context of the list in these four verses is humans helping humans. When we read marriage into the text, as the pastor did, it not only shames and belittles singles, pity them, it also forces an unbiblical emphasis on marriage. While the text may hold tangential applications for marriage, it more accurately applies to friendship, Christian community, and the life of the church, areas singles are uniquely poised to excel and flourish in. End of footnote. So much focus is given to marriage in the church that it can feel like if you're not married, there's something seriously wrong with you, both personally and spiritually. Footnote. A 2015 survey of 504 Christian singles revealed that 45% of singles surveyed feel devalued, like an outcast, or in a lesser life stage at church because they are single. View full survey results and analysis at www.atacrossroads.net slash singles. End of footnote. Cloaked beneath all this is the message that if you aren't having sex, you're missing out. Secular culture already glorifies sex as the be-all, end-all of life. So Christian culture takes this and adds a spiritual twist on it. Sex within marriage is the be-all, end-all of life. But what happens when we make anything other than Jesus himself the be-all, end-all of life? What happens is we develop an idol. And that idol lets us down and leaves us feeling disillusioned and disappointed. Ironically, in its good intentions to teach teenagers about marriage and to support those who are married, the church has inadvertently turned marriage into a romanticized idol, an idol we have become so accustomed to we don't even realize we are engaging in idolatry. Yet the impact of this idol lingers inside almost every Christian who is single. Why do singles feel incomplete? Why do singles feel like there's something wrong with them? Why do singles feel like they need to be married or they will never have their longings for intimacy and companionship met? Because the church has taught them all these things by putting marriage and childbearing on a pedestal, Something the Bible doesn't do. There is, of course, the classic chapter on singleness, 1 Corinthians 7, and Paul's example of singleness therein, which we will delve into later. Read Mark 3, 20-21, and Matthew 12, 46-50, for some sobering passages on how marriage and the nuclear family are not the be-all, end-all for a Christian. End of footnote. The church has taught that marriage and sex will give you what only God can give, which is the very definition of an idol. It's not that marriage is awful. Of course it's not. Marriage was designed by God, and everything God institutes is good. An individual marriage can be great or horrible, with most landing somewhere in between. Regardless, the truth is that the realities of marriage mean that Christian marriages do not match the idealized version that the church sells, and that many couples feel pressure to display in public. Why do nearly half of all marriages end in divorce? Why do so many couples seek marriage counseling? And why do so many people who have had sexual relationships, whether inside or outside of marriage, 
still feel utterly disappointed with life. The idea that marriage will fulfill you and solve all your problems is a lie that needs to be exposed. It's not that marriage is awful, but that idolatry is. If we've created an idol, we need to be real about it. If someone thinks they can fly if they jump off a building, don't we have the responsibility to convince them otherwise? Too many singles rush into marriage because they think they'll be able to fly when they make that jump. Perhaps if we didn't try to make marriage so enticing and show Jesus as more enticing, which he is, fewer people would rush into bad marriages and singles could feel complete as they are. I'm certainly not advocating for sex outside of marriage. I'm saying that once you can have sex, all your problems will not be solved. And sex needs to be seen within this framework. Sex should not be your main motivation for getting married. We need to stop worshiping sex and marriage as idols. We need to understand that a life without marriage and without sex is still a very good life with nothing essential missing from it. Footnote. Imagine someone telling Jesus he needed a girlfriend or wife in order to be complete. End of footnote. If you are a single man reading this chapter, you need to know that you are already completely whole as a Christian who is single. There's nothing that marriage will add to you that will increase your spiritual significance or value, or honestly, that will automatically increase your personal satisfaction in life. While there are benefits to marriage, Scripture tells us that it will also add considerable stress, pain, and problems to your life. Footnote, just as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, 28b, end of footnote, there's nothing wrong with you if you aren't married. To think anything else is to buy into the lie that marriage is a God and to miss out on the riches of who you already are in Christ. The Gift No One Wants if you've been around the Christian Singles Ministry block for any time at all, it's likely you've had 1 Corinthians 7 directed towards you, specifically verse 7, where Paul speaks of singleness as a gift, bracketed word added from the context. I wish that all of you were single as I am, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. And then you are likely told that you have the quote, gift of singleness upon which you wondered if this gift came with a receipt so you could take it back. Footnote, a joke you've probably heard as well. End of footnote. You're then told that God gave you the gift of singleness so that you can do more ministry for him. And you're thinking, great, I get to clean the church and help with vacation Bible school while everyone else gets love, romance, and affection. When the church paints being single as abnormal and defective, and paints marriage as a dreamland of bliss, adoration, and acceptance. It's no wonder the gift of singleness comes across as lame. Marriage is not a dreamland of bliss, adoration, and acceptance. It is good, but it is also exceedingly difficult. For most men I know, marriage is the most difficult challenge they face in their lives. Marriage requires constant sacrifice. It takes away almost all your freedom to make your own choices, without having to consult anyone else. It can have long seasons of little or no reward. It usually involves two very different people on two very different orbits of personality, preferences, and convictions trying to live a unified life together. 
It is a lifetime commitment you make to someone, not knowing how that person will change over the decades to come or how your feelings about them may change correspondingly. The role of a husband within marriage is described in the Bible as equivalent to Jesus giving himself up to be arrested, beaten, tortured, humiliated, and crucified for the sake of the church. Marriage is not a dreamland of bliss, adoration, and acceptance. So to recap, the Apostle Paul said you will face many troubles in life if you get married, and that you will need to sacrifice yourself for your bride as Christ did for the church. Anyone up for a 60-year crucifixion? Footnote, again, this is according to Ephesians 5.25, since a marriage may last up to 60 years or so. End of footnote. Once again, I'm really not trying to scare you away from marriage or to say that marriage is bad. But the problem is we've swung so far in the other direction that a sobering recalibration is desperately needed. The church feeds singles a utopian view of marriage to try to keep them on the straight and narrow. But this falsely idealized view doesn't help anyone. All it does in the long run is make singles feel worthless and or cause them to jump into marriage with a host of unrealistic expectations. The Marriage Santa Claus The reason single men need to understand the realities of marriage is twofold. One is that if you plan to get married someday, you need to know what you are getting yourself into. You need to know that the infatuated, mushy-gushy feelings you feel towards your girlfriend or fiancé today will not last, nor will hers for you. This is as naive as believing in Santa Claus. At the risk of being the Grinch of marriage here, I want to stop seeing grown men and women believing in Santa Claus. Your wish list to Santa Claus is all about who? You. You need to know that marriage is not about you and making yourself feel good. So much of Christian teaching on marriage is centered around selfishness, primarily to persuade singles to abstain from sex until they are married. If the prize at the end of the race sounds as sweet as possible, it's more likely that you will stay strong in the race and avoid the sin of engaging in premarital sex. The problem with this is that it equips singles to enter the lifelong commitment of marriage thinking it's going to be about getting their desires met, when in reality it is about meeting someone else's desires. In overhyping the prize of marriage, the church has trained singles for the exact opposite of what they will face. The second reason it's important to be aware of what marriage is really like is so you can enjoy the genuine gift of singleness and learn to utilize all it brings along with it. There are reasons married people sometimes wish they were single, and not all of those reasons are sinful. There are legitimate things the church and singles need to learn about what is so good about singleness. What are the things you lose upon getting married that you can never have back? Not only does Paul call singleness a gift, after talking about how difficult marriage is, Jesus points out in Matthew 19:12 that some will choose to be single, quote, for the sake of the kingdom of heaven, unquote, and that, quote, the one who can accept this should accept it, unquote. If Jesus speaks so highly of this calling, the calling he himself was living out, you would think the church would speak highly of it as well. 
But unfortunately, this has not been the case. And that has caused cataclysmic damage to the Christian single psyche and has greatly hamstrung the advancement of the kingdom of heaven on earth. One of Satan's best tricks is to get married people to wish they were single and single people to wish they were married. In Christ, we have the power to be content, appreciative and grateful for wherever we currently are. Are there benefits to being married? Sure. But do those benefits outweigh the benefits of being single? No. It's not a competition between the two. It's a matter of living in and maximizing the gifts God provides in the situation you are in, rather than completely missing them because you are longing for something else. Satan loves to steal life from us, and discontentment is one of the most effective ways he does it. Open the gift. As we've established, the local church doesn't generally do a good job of encouraging or supporting singleness. Most churches focus their attention on how to keep stable families coming to their churches, so they place major emphases on children's and youth ministries, as well as marriage-strengthening ministries and retreats. If a church has a singles ministry, it is often not a place where authentic community develops amongst singles. Singles ministries are many times not much more than pools of hopeful, sometimes desperate, people looking for a date, and of course, marriage, the opposite of what Christian singles actually need. The awkwardness, pressure, and fear of being hit on keeps many of the more spiritually mature singles away and perpetuates the isolation and rejection many singles face in the church. The lack of quality resources in the church for singles does not negate your individual responsibility to develop these resources on your own. What happens too often is that singles complain, rightfully so, about how their church doesn't provide anything helpful for them. But rather than find or develop good resources, they allow these complaints to serve as an excuse to wallow in self-pity and remain undeveloped as single Christians. Another way churches fail to support singles is by a lack of representation amongst pastors, elders, and other leaders. So ironic considering Paul and Jesus were both single. Single leaders can stand as models of the single lifestyle for the rest of the congregation. Again, rather than viewing this leadership vacuum as a chance to gripe or wallow in self-pity, see it as your opportunity to step up. Perhaps God has called you to fill this leadership void in your church. Be the single leader you're looking for and that your church needs. One of the greatest advantages of being single is flexibility in one's schedule and freedom from responsibility for and obligation to others. A man who is married understandably must focus considerable attention on his wife and children. This is exactly what Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 7, 33-34. It's why, after your single friends get married, they can hardly hang out anymore. Marriage places restrictions on outside friendships. It's definitely possible to maintain those friendships, but it takes a lot of intentionality, and frankly, it's never as organic and free as it was when a person was single. Singleness allows you to engage more deeply in Christian community. So get heavily involved in Christian community, but don't do so as an attempt to quell your loneliness. Only Jesus can ultimately make you whole, not Christian community. If you get that backwards, you'll end up disillusioned and disappointed. Once you are made whole in Christ, you will no longer seek community as a way of running away from yourself or your loneliness, 
but instead as a way of experiencing Jesus in deeper and more tangible ways. If you're an introvert, getting heavily into biblical community may sound like a nightmare, but it doesn't mean you have to develop lots of friends or be a social butterfly. What it means is that having friends and being a friend is ministry. If you boil ministry down to its most basic components, it is to be a friend. Often, God will make you aware of a person desperately in need of a friend who has nowhere else to go for connection. Yes, we are to usher people into a friendship with Jesus, the ultimate healer of their wounds, but we are called as his followers to be his hands and feet, his ambassadors. We are to show people who Jesus is by the type of friend we are to them. Paul understood this concept very well when he penned 1 Corinthians 7. One has to wonder how many faithful friends in ministry Paul, quote, lost to marriage along the way. Enough that he could make the honest observation that marriage consumes a large portion of our time and energy that otherwise could be spent on ministering to others. So, if you are single, get out there and minister. Most of this means simply redefining what we consider to be ministry. It's certainly not something you need a seminary degree for. Go to the same local park regularly to play basketball and see what friendships develop there. Look up social events in your town, like board game nights or groups that meet around an interest or hobby you already enjoy. Footnote, check out www.meetup.org. End of footnote. Join a book club. Attend a variety of small groups and Bible studies your church offers even if they're lame. Have people over to your house. Invite other singles to hang out together. Initiate this rather than waiting around to be invited. Live with Christian roommates. Volunteer. Be a mentor. If you're longing for a family, adopt or be a foster parent. Footnote. Adoption does not have to be expensive, especially if you adopt children who are currently in the foster care system. Another option is to become a foster parent. In many states, you receive a small stipend to help take care of the child, including tuition and health insurance benefits in many cases. Adopting or fostering a child is a demonstration of the gospel and is a needed and wonderful calling. End of footnote. In the midst of all these things, simply and intentionally show people the love of Jesus. The beauty of this type of relational ministry is that you will be ministered to as well. As you intentionally become a friend, you will gain a friend. Loneliness can be a major struggle for singles. Their biggest fear is often that they will, quote, end up alone. But loneliness is not something only singles experience. Quite honestly, some married people long for the type of freedom single people have to develop deep friendships. There are married people who feel lonely and trapped in their marriages, bound to marital obligations to the point that they no longer have any meaningful friendships. Even those who count their spouses as great friends often long for the opportunity to develop deeper community outside of their family. As a single person, you have the freedom and flexibility to cultivate meaningful friendships in your life, not just for your sake, but for the sake of others and for the sake of the gospel. The worst thing you can do is know this and not do it. If you're going to be single, whether by choice or against your will, you might as well open the gift given to you and maximize it for all it's worth.